Today I'd like to share with you a message. This is a series of messages, but I broke them down to where I can do them one at a time. How's that working? If the Lord, t- if the Lord so sees fit, someplace down the road, I'll take on the next one. But if He wants me to go another way, I'll go another way. But I really felt like the Lord was... I've had a lot of things in the last... Oh, I guess about the, before I went to Africa and after I got to Africa... That the Lord has been so strongly with me about purity of the Word. Because the Word has just been compromised so much. And as God laid on my heart and as I preached, the message is over there. And the people were so receptive because they came and they asked and they said, Can you tell us how immorality has got in our church, in our churches? And I said, yeah, I'll tell you how. Because we've compromised the Word of God. The Word of God is, is only one way. God tells us the way to go. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way other than that way. There is no other way than the truth and the life. And compromise is something that is, uh, well, by definition... It's an agreement or a settlement of a dispute that is reached by each side making concessions. One gives a little, the other one gives a little, we see concessions. It's an ability to listen to two sides in a dispute and devise a compromise acceptable to both sides. Making concessions or accommodations for someone who does not agree with a certain set of standards or rules. So compromise is trying to get middle of the road. This one gives a little on this side. This one gives a little bit on this side. Marriage is a perfect example of that. You bring in two people that have been raised completely different, have different views, different areas in their life that are completely different. But yet they come together and they have to start making their life a union of one, but they have to bring in differences on both sides. There are many times, many compromises have to be made. Sometimes it can be as simple as what toothpaste do you use? I use Colgate, but I use Crest. I use fluoride. I don't use fluoride. So you either make a compromise. You either get one that both of you can agree on, or your compromise is the fact that I'm going to use Crest and you can use Colgate. doesn't matter, right? But you do have to come up with something. But many times, you just have to choose things in, around there. But Daniel, in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel had to make a compromise. And it was because they were fixing to fix him, eat the meat from the, from the uh, uh, king's table. And he was going to get all this food that they weren't supposed to be eating. And so he went to the head eunuch and he said, who was in charge of him. And he said, just bring us the vegetables. And he says, I can't do that because if you, if I do that and you come in and come before the king and you just all come down all puny looking and all weak because you haven't had any meat, it'll be my head. So Daniel says, well, let's do this. Bring me the vegetables for ten days. And after ten days, we'll go and go before the king. And you look at my countenance, those that are with me. And you look at the countenance of the one that has ate all the things of the king's table. 
and see if we look okay. And so he did, and he said, not only did they look okay, they looked better than the ones that had been eating the other stuff. So he said, well, I can do that, no problem. So the eunuch says, you can have just the vegetables, right? He made a compromise, but it was something that Daniel believed in because it was part of his law and part of his living to not do that. But he made a compromise in the sense that he compromised with the eunuch. But the thing is, is in his compromise, he got exactly what he wanted and the unit got nothing except the fact that he gave up. He won the whole battle. So what looked to be a compromise was actually a total, a total win for, for Daniel and for those that, were, those that were with him. Now, even though there are times that compromises are good, and they're very beneficial from time to time, we have to have those in our society. We have to learn to live together. We have laws that, that we have to have to be able to, to live together. We've come up and we've compromised on the fact that you can drive 75 miles an hour on some roads in the state of Texas. But other roads in Texas, we've compromised and said you can only run 35 miles an hour on them because of the safety that's around there. And we have to live by those things to be able to have a society. So there are many things that we do in compromising in the world. But when it comes to God's Word and God's command, it is very clear in God's Word that this is not, that God does not condone. He does not condone compromising of the Word of God. In Deuteronomy 5, 32, it says, So you shall be careful to do just as the Lord God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. You must walk exactly where God tells us to walk. There is no compromise this way, and there is no compromise this way. It's only that way that we go. Many of, many of us today are playing a dangerous game in compromising sin. The title of my message is, was, was Compromise, okay, the road to justifying sin. Because compromising gets us to the point to where we begin to justify the sin that, that Satan has tried to convince us of. Some of these sins are intentional for the moment and just to, to take a moment of pleasure. Sometimes they're unintentional, but we end up enjoying them anyway. Don't be fooled. Sin produces death, and we do not want that. Sin brings consequences, and those consequences are not good. Sin does not bring good consequences. Go down to the jail. Ask all of those men down there that we go, or whether it's women, if you, my wife and them go to do that. But when you go into the jail, I ask them sometimes, I say, do you... Would you tell me how many of you, when you did whatever it was that you did to get you in here, you knew it was wrong when you did it? 100%. They know that it was wrong. Now, were they believers? No, they weren't believers. They wouldn't have been doing, the, doing what they were doing. But even a sinner knows what's right and wrong. They just choose to do wrong. Okay? They just choose to sin. Now, Galatians 5, verse 7, starting in verse 7, it says, You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. The li a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So, if you take a little bit of sin, just a little bit of sin, and put it in your life, if you don't know it, you've opened the door and you've started the process to where you can become more and more and more leavened or completely leavens the whole loaf. 
Sins, we like to call small sins. Everybody know that we got white lies and black lies, right? How many knows there's two kinds of lies? No hands. Good, I don't have to cover that. A lie is a lie. There's no such thing as a white lie. It either is a lie or it isn't a lie. It's either a lie or the truth. Just because it falls in the middle doesn't make it truth. It's still a lie, and I'm not going to go into the, the, that problem that I go into the, doing a lot of times about that. But a little sin compromises the truth. So, how do we overcome the temptation of compromising God's Word? How do we, how do we go about how do we go about how to overcome, how to not get caught in the trap of compromising? First, we need to stop trying to convince ourselves that what we're doing is not a sin. <laughs> we need to stop trying to convince ourselves that we are not doing what, what we're doing is not a sin. Because so many people try to justify it and justify it and justify it, trying to justify something that's not a sin that they know to be sin. Many of us excuse, many of us have excuses for pretty much everything we do. How many of you, if you do something that's not exactly right, has a real good excuse for why you did it? Glad you didn't have one. People are not going to raise their hand. I understand that. So you get caught too many times, right? Especially with tricky pastors. Okay. Uh, but... It's important to realize that there is a difference between an excuse and a reason. What is an excuse? An excuse is something that you just made up to excuse why you didn't have to do something. A reason is something that is stopping you from doing it, and you can't do it because there is a reason why you can't. Okay? For instance, if a person, uh, can't think of a good example, but a lot of times when people make up excuses, I remember when I was selling, they used to tell us, you have to always keep probing until you find the reason because you'll get a hundred excuses before you ever get to a real reason why somebody can't buy what they want to buy. I said, people would come in, they say, I tell you, how would you like this beautiful set of knives? You can have them today for $109.49. I don't want those knives for $109.49. Well, I don't like them. What is it you don't like about them? Well, I don't like the way that they... And you just keep overcoming objection after objection after objection. Then they finally get out, I can't afford them. Oh, you can't afford them. Okay. Well, I have monthly installments to where you can buy those by the month, and it's only going to cost you $10 a month. You're telling me you can't afford $10? No, I can't afford $10. Okay. Can you afford 30 cents a day? You reduce it to the ridiculous, and finally you take away all their excuses, and either they're going to do one of two things. They're either going to walk away from you or throw you out, or they're going to buy the knives. But when a person has a real reason to why they can't buy the knives or can't buy it, then you have a reason that you cannot overcome. And once the person gives you a, a reason and not an excuse, it's time to fold your presentation up and leave because they have just given you a reason why they can't. Okay? So 
it's many times we've made excuses for just about everything that we have. But when we but we excuse away sin as an acceptable or minor thing. We start trying to do levels. I'm going to get into it a little bit later, but what I'm, the whole voice is what I want you to keep here. I want you to stick this in the back of your head. What level, what level of sin have you accepted in your life as okay? Just keep on that. We're going to talk about it in a minute. But just want to fit that brand attention. So, the world has changed since the days of Jesus. Jesus did not have to worry about what to watch on TV. But we do. When I was growing up, we had three channels. ABC, CBS, and NBC, CBS, and huh, whatever the other one is. I can't even remember what it was now. All the three letters, all the three letters can't even remember what they were. But anyway, we only had three channels, and, half, and a couple of the channels I had to stand by the TV because I was the antenna. I had to hold on to the rabbit ears so you could bring it in. But what we had on there, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz had I don't know how many seasons, and they lived their whole life. Their bedroom scene was in twin beds. They slept in twin beds. That was the bed scene. In full pajamas. Especially with Lucy in her big old pajamas. But now what do we see? We see fornication, adultery, bedroom scenes. And we just, over the years, it's just started, a, well, that's just, it's just a movie. It's entertainment. It's entertainment. And we begin to look at those things. And we bring them into our homes. Jesus didn't have to worry about the movies that we go to. Now you can't even go to a PG anymore, especially if it says PG-13. Because there's more language in it than you can shake a stick at and so forth and so on. So we have to be careful about what we see. Jesus didn't have to worry about the Internet. What we see on the Internet. What our kids see on the Internet every day. What they have access to because the, the limitless that they have of the things that they can expound to. And he, Jesus didn't even have to worry about watching commercials. Last night, in a commercial... For a drug company, the two women were something about skin or you know, some kind of skin disease or whatever. They were walking away, whatever, and they were walking away. And as they were walking away in the commercial, they turned to each other and... and I said, it wasn't just that either. It was a, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Do I have to be more explicit? No, I don't have to. Not on the TV show, on the commercial. They're feeding it to us through our eye gates and our lives to make that acceptable to us. To make it acceptable. And it has, in some cases, become acceptable. But they did not have the technology that we have today. But Jesus was still tempted in every way that we are tempted. And he was tempted of every sin that was common to man. But yet he said no. We, we just have to have a conscious, be conscious of what we see, what we hear, what we watch. And the Word gives us instructions of how to handle these types of temptations. 
In Psalms 101, verse 3, it says, I will set nothing before your eyes. I will set nothing wicked before your eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. Psalms 119, 37, Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Matthew 6, 22, the lamp of the body is the eye, and if, any, if, if therefore your eye is good, the whole body will be full of light. If you keep what goes in here pure, that what goes in here, this down here stays pure. It's saying what comes in here affects here. What comes in here affects here. What we do with our hands affects here. Our senses and the things that we do to our senses make a difference in our life. Matthew 6, 22 says, the light, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore the eye is good, the whole body will be full of light. But if the eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great a darkness it is. It's not a shouting message, but it's the truth of what God's Word says. Secondly, everybody's must is doing it. So if everybody's doing it, it must be right. I like to tell people if everybody's walking off, if everybody's going to walk off the cliff, are you going to walk off the cliff with them? Well, no, I'm not going to do that because I know that's not the right thing to do. It's not. There are people that there's kids today that are committing suicide just because somebody else did. As I read in the news and see polling data, I become very concerned about the direction of the modern church. And we are living in the modern church age. I believe that the church is going through a sifting. I believe that God is beginning to sift the church to find out which one is good, which one's the sheep, and which one is the goats. He's starting to sift the church. I can look around and I thank God that we don't have our churches not, I'd say we're going through the modern church age, but we're not a modern church because we believe in the Holy Ghost power of God. But the church today is going through a sifting. We, where do we stand on our moral issues of today? I was, when we, when we became the adopted of one of the schools, I knew that we weren't going to be able to go into that school and say, well, the Word of God says this, and let me pray with you. God, you know, take them down and put them on their knees and start praying with them. I knew that I was going to have a hard time doing that, so I, I began to look and I say, Lord, what are, the, what are some of the good moral values? Because when we start talking about immorality, the first thing that comes to mind is sex sins. You know, when you say immorality, because God calls them sexual immorality sometimes, but other times He just says immorality. Well, immorality is anything that's not moral, Right? So if you know the things that are moral, then, then you do it. So I, I went through and I put together 21, I'm not going to go over them, but 21 of these moral things that we could actually talk about with these kids and not be talking about the Bible, not having to use the Scripture, but just actually talk about them. Like we could talk to them about honesty. We could talk to them about integrity. We could talk to them about loving. We could talk to them about forgiveness. When, when people get in a little argument, so they, well, you can teach them patience. Well, just be patient. Be patient. You know, we can teach these principles, these moral principles. 
without actually using the Word of God itself, but we could still teach those principles. So when people, when I start talking about morality, I'm not talking necessarily talking to you about yeah, sexual immorality naturally, but there are all, a lot of, like for instance, honesty is not, in, honesty is not a big thing. Today, I, I would love to just ask, ask uh, young people, what is integrity? What is truthfulness? What, yes, what is integrity? Doing something that's right. You got it right. When nobody's looking. She says, doing the right thing when nobody's looking. That is a great, that is a great definition. That is a great definition. She knows that. I wonder how she knows that. Where did you learn that? Integrity. Where did you learn it? At school. Okay. I'm glad they're teaching integrity in school. I figured a lot of it come from mom and daddy too. But anyway. But we need to have integrity, right? Integrity. But these are all these issues that are happening that are happening there, right? But I believe, like I said, that the church is going through a city. But where do we all stand on the moral values of today? And then I, I, I want to, um, um, to share with you, in a recent poll, 63% of Americans... Profess to be Christians. It was 78% in 2007. It has steadily decreased to 63%. While people who have no religious affiliation has gone from 16% to 29%. That's a morality issue. Okay? Now, I understand that not every person professing to be a Christian is a Christian, but most of those believe that they are a Christian whether they are or not. Okay? I also understand that polls are not a reflection of everybody. It depends on how many numbers they are. they got a plus or minus and all this. But most polls are people... That usually deal with those types of things. But the fall of Christianity from, from a high of, where was it, 78% in 2007 down to 63%. Okay? Let's just, for ballpark, say 15%. Just keep it simple. Okay? But that's all happened, right? Now, there's another one that says the chart for abortion that 61% of a poll, 61 in one poll shows 71%, believe that abortion is but since not since 1995 it was 60 it's been up and down it's just 61 look at that it never changes 60 to 61 percent from 1995 to here why because that's 1995 if I could show you all the way back to 1973. And before, it would have been down here below this, as far as abortion was concerned. You say, why are you showing us that? I'm showing you that 60% of people in America 
61%, and some polls show 71%, believe that abortion is, is okay. Now, <laughs> if you have 63% confessing Christians, okay, if 60, that's 60, so you got 63% confessing Christians, so 63 is right here. How can you have 63% people professing to be Christians and 60% saying it's abortion unless Christians believe that abortion is right? How have we swallowed that? That disturbs me. It should disturb you, but it disturbs me. And believing that 61% of them, 61% believe in abortion and... 67%, 67% of Christians believe in same-sex marriage. I'm not talking about 60% of the population. I'm saying 67% of Christians believe in same-sex marriage. The Bible says it is an abomination. It doesn't just say it's wrong. It says it's an abomination. Okay? So, the thing about it is, we have accepted these things. The Word says in the last days, there will be a great falling away. I believe that we're living in the last days. Because we see the great falling away from the church. We see the great falling away from, not the church itself, but the truth of the church is falling away. Second Thessalonians says, let no one deceive you by any means. For the day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Lest the great falling away comes first. We've just seen the data that I just presented to you that 15% drop in Christians in 15 years. That's an average of 1% per year. Where will we be in 10, 20, or 30 years if the Lord tarries? How many will we be professing? What happens when the persecutions come? Matthew 24 says, And on that day there shall be a falling away, and I will deliver up one another, and they will hate one another. We see hate in the streets every day. Some of the bigger cities were seeing it more and more and more and more. But these are the signs of the time. Sin, seeing sin, and being okay with it is deception. Pastor Angela has been talking about deception. Deception started in the Garden of Eden. He's been using the same tactic since the Garden of Eden. He's a master at it, teaching deception. But the thing about deception is this. If I am deceived, then I cannot see the truth. Partially deceived, I can see it, but I don't believe it. That's one thing. But if you have come to the point that you've been deceived into believing it, it's there. Now, that gets me down to my last point. I wasn't going to say that gets me down to my introduction, but I won't. We must stop thinking that just because God will forgive us, we can continue to sin. We must stop thinking that just because God will forgive us, we can continue in sin. There are people who are mature in Christ. There are people who are midway. And there are people who are babes in Christ. There are people that have just recently accepted the Lord and is just like a babe. They're going to have to be taught and they're going to have to go through a process. That, anybody know what that process is called? Sanctification. Sanctification is the process by which we, as we come into the knowledge of God's Word, and as God's Word begins to come in our knowledge, we begin to take off the sins of the world. 
We begin to take off more and more things and we become more and more in Christ. The further we live in our Christian walk, the less of the world should be in our lives. When we start, there's a whole lot. You've got to realize that when, the, when, the, when a young person uh, starts, and when I say a young person, I'm talking about a person who has just accepted the Lord. I'm not talking about age like a teenager compared to a 40-year-old. If you accept Jesus Christ at 70 years old, I'm sorry, you just became a baby again. Because we have to start at that process. But that process is a, is a separation when we start separating these things off of us. But it seems like in the last few years, when I start looking at those charts in the last few years, it looks to me like we're taking, in, instead of going through sanctification, we're beginning to be desanctified. We're beginning to put more of the world back on. We're beginning to say, this is acceptable, this is acceptable, this is acceptable, this is acceptable. Why? Because we have reasoned ourselves and we have reasoned that sin is okay. And sin is not okay, no matter which way you look at it. In Hebrews 10, 26, it says, For if, if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. That's a powerful scripture when you think about it. Now, do we? We shouldn't want to sin and purpose in our heart to sin. But when we're new... As babes in Christ, many times those things happen that way. And as you begin to grow in your, in your spiritual walk, and you become to be 10 years old in your spiritual walk, hopefully at 10 years old in your spiritual walk, you will be closer to living the way God wants you to live than you were 10 years ago. If you're not, you're staying flat. You're not, you're not, you're not gaining anything. But over a period of time, we should be able to do it. And if you've been living for the Lord for 25, 30 years, I've been living for the Lord, I don't know. When was dirt? Come in now. But it's important that we understand that the willfulness is, is there. But I asked a question earlier. I said, What sins have you reason to be acceptable in your life? What sins have you reason to be acceptable in your life? I believe. I'm not pointing my finger at you. If I point it to you, i got three back at me, right? I believe that we've all come to, a, to certain things because of the way the world has changed, and it's changed so gradually, so gradually, that there are many things that we have become um, desensitized to, okay? We're not sensitive to them anymore. We're not sensitive to the Spirit. A lot of times it's talked about the conscience. <clears throat> Before the law... Abraham lived by conscience. He lived by what his conscience told him was right and wrong. That means inside of us, we all know what's right and wrong. It's what we choose to do is the difference, right? We all know what's right and wrong. Everybody here knows what's right and wrong. I don't need to tell you what's right and what's wrong. Now, some people who have been lived in the world, and, and because of the teachings that we have in our schools today, there's a lot of people that's got some misinformation that thinks that things are true because they've been told they're true that are an absolute lie, Okay. But the point is, is we do, if we, haven't been, if we haven't been trained, things that are wrong are right, and things that are right are wrong. If we haven't been trained that way, then we can be able to determine on our own what's right and what's wrong. But when the training comes, it causes those things to be. And I think that one of the... <clears throat> what is the highest level of sin that you will allow in your life? Is it, I know this is going to step on some toes. I'm stepping on mine. Okay. What we watch on TV. Or if we even watch TV. Some people just turn the TV off. 
I came back from Africa and I didn't have TV for six weeks. I didn't see Fox News. I didn't see CNN. I didn't see any programs that I normally watch. Didn't see anything. And I came back. And to this day, I still have a problem watching TV. Unless it's just something that's really pure flicks. <laughs> you know. Uh, but the thing about it is, what have we accepted? Have we allowed the, 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 our eyes and our ears to be filled with things? And if see, the thing about it, if we no longer have sensitivity to those things, if, we're, if our conscience has been seared in those areas, we are not repentant over them because we have justified them as being okay. This level of sin is okay. It's not okay. No level of sin is okay. We have to repent of those sins. If you ever get that level in your life, whatever level you set in your life, whatever level you have set to be, this is the level of sin that I will allow in my life. You set that. You will never repent of those sins, and without repentance, that sin can send you to hell. Because once we reason and believe that sin is no longer sin and we do them, we're never going to ask God to forgive us for it because we have been deceived into believing that it is okay. It's not okay. Sin is never okay. Yes, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Yes, we do. But that doesn't mean that we have to continue in sin. It doesn't mean that we have to not repent of sin because we repent when we do things wrong. I have to repent. I'm a preacher, but for heaven's sakes, I have to repent. I'm not perfect. I don't pray enough. I read God's Word and I pray, but I don't read God's Word probably enough. I don't witness enough. You say, well, that's not a sin. Go through all the world and be my witness. Is that what God's Word says? Did He say be a witness? Are you a witness? See, God gave us things that we're not supposed to do. And we get focused on the things we're not supposed to do. And that's what I'm kind of focusing on today. But there's also things in the Bible that God tells us to do that we don't do. Those are sins too. One's a sin of commission. You committed a sin. The other one is you omitted doing something. So you had a sin by omission. But we don't like to... We reason those things away. We say, well, but... And we come up with a reason. Not really reasons, they're really excuses, right? They're not really reasons because no, no person has... We don't have a reason to not do what God's Word tells us to do. We don't have any reason to be able to do that. God's Word is what we obey. What He said in His Word is what we are, what we are to have. What acceptable sins is standing between you and a closer, intimate relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ? What stands in the way? I look back and I've, I've searched for years trying to figure out why do we not see the things in the churches today that I saw when I was growing up in church. When I saw when I was a teenager, when I saw people slain in spirit, when I saw a lady fall off a, a rostrum that was probably as high as this or higher, and we had an altar that was down like that was nothing but a two-by-twelve with corners and everything else with studs under it. As an altar that we had to come and weep before the Lord. She got up there and through the power of the Holy Spirit, she began to shout. If anybody knows what shouting is, that's not saying, hey man, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about shouting. I'm talking about shouting people. She was shouting. She had her hand all over her head. She had one of those uh, 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 U-shaped uh, uh, things in her uh, 
rat tails in her, in her hair and had them all rolled back the old Pentecostal style. I was sitting on the front row with my best friend. We were just young kids. All of a sudden, she was shouting. She had her hands over her head like this. And she went like this, and she went whoop like this, and she fell. And she came down that thing, and when she came, she came off backwards, and she went just like this. And she hit the back of her head right on the corner of that two-by-six. And you could hear, thud. And we just, <clears throat> when we saw her hit it, she rolled over, and she laid there, and she just praised the Lord, praised the Lord, praised the Lord. After church, about four hours later, Mickey, my, my buddy, my friend, we walked over to Miss Rogers and we said, Sister Rogers, can we feel in the back of your head? <laughs> and she said, what? She said, can we feel the back of your head? She said, sure, why? What do you want to do? She bent over. And so we start rubbing on the back of her head trying to find the knot from where she hit that, hit that deal. I mean, it would have broke the skin, you know, probably had to have stitches, you know, whatever, because we're talking a great big of impact. I mean, no bracing, no catch, no, no person to catch her. I mean, just boom, nobody, and she hit. We couldn't find a cut, couldn't find a knot. Couldn't, and she said, what are y'all looking for anyway? She said, well, when you fell off the stage and you hit the floor and you hit the, you really hit, she, she says, when I did what? She was in the spirit. She wasn't in her spirit. She was in the spirit. And God took care of it, what happens in the spirit. There. But the thing about it is, I saw all those things. I saw the miracles and saw all these things when I was growing up. And, and I, as I got older and I got into the ministry, we saw them. And I saw them in my churches when I was growing up. When God called me into the, when God healed my back. And the next Sunday, he told me to preach faith and love for those two, two men. For those two things, no man would ever see him. And I preached that sermon and had 26 people in my church come up from healing from heart conditions to cataracts to high blood pressure to diabetes, for, you name it. 26 of them came up from the, that morning. Prayed for every one of those 26, and every one of them came back with doctor for, doctor's notes with, with verification that every one of them was healed that day. And God said, that's what I want. And I said, oh, God, to see that again over and over and over and over and over. But we have accepted. We have come to the point that we have accepted sicknesses. We've accepted things as okay because that God just didn't cover that particular sin when He was on the cross. That's the one that He didn't. And the big one is diabetes. They say one in three or something like that have diabetes. And this diabetes, if we become say, well, I've got medication, I'm on my, I got it under control, and we live with it. Why? Because I do it myself. Because I've reasoned to the fact that I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it, even though I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for years and years and years to be able to get it. But just because I haven't got and received it doesn't mean that God doesn't want to give it to me. It's something that I still have to not accept the fact that I have to carry it, that I have to carry that disease. I have to carry that infirmity. I have to carry that sin in my life. You don't have to carry it anymore. Jesus died on the cross. He bore the stripes on His back so that we could have life and that life more abundantly. That we could have health. We could have strength in our bodies. Until God calls us that day that He says, Today is the day that I take you home. Until that day we can walk the way that God wants us to walk without pain, without suffering in anything. That's what God's Word wants us to do. We can't accept. We can't accept less. We have to start accepting more of what God wants in our lives. This message may not be a happy, jumpy message. But it digs deep into where our commitment is with the Lord. Are we committed 
Are we truly committed to God to do what God wants us to do? To live the life that God wants us to live. To be that life that these children see at home with mom and dad. Not what they just see on Sunday morning, but what they see on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. We have to strive for perfection. We may not achieve that perfection, but we can't stop striving just because we have struggles. We all have struggles. But that doesn't mean that we have to compromise and accept the fact that just because I'm struggling with it doesn't mean that God doesn't want me to get rid of it. And I'm going to continue to try my very best and push myself toward that perfection that God wants for me. It's time. It's time for us here and everywhere in the church to root out all, all, Levels of sin that we have accepted into our lives. Because God doesn't want them there. The Holy Spirit doesn't want them there. Is it a process? Yes, it's a process. Many times you can get deliverance like that. You can. Strongholds. That's exactly what it is. A stronghold. You can get rid of a stronghold just like that. But then again, you may struggle with that stronghold for for years. I know a man in my church when I was pastoring had a problem smoking. I don't know how many times he tried to give up smoking, tried to give up smoking, tried to give up smoking. I preached a message one time about, I said, stop the struggle, just commit. He came forward, took the pack of cigarettes out of his pocket, laid them on the altar in front of everybody in the church. He said, I put you down and I'll never pick you up again. Walked out of there and he never smoked again. He had smoked for like 35 years. Put him down and said, I walk away, I, I rebuke you, and I walk away. He was willing in front of that whole church body that didn't know he smoked. None of them knew he smoked. Put him down on that altar in front of that church and said, I put you down and I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ, and you, you stay right here. And he walked out of that place. He was delivered. That can be you, and it doesn't matter what you put on the altar. Whatever it is, you put it on the altar, and you walk away from it. God wants us to be able to put things on the altar of Him so that we can get rid of those things which so easily beset us. Those sins that so easily catch us. The ones that we keep falling into on a routine basis. Those are strongholds. That's on, on, we, next, we do strongholds. We do pray for people strongholds. But the first Friday night of every month, you've got a stronghold? We can get rid of them today. But the thing about it, you got people that have strongholds, bring them on that Friday night. We get rid of strongholds. That's what we do. We pray, get rid of strongholds. That's all we can do. But it's important for us to realize that we have authority. We have authority to do that. That's what we have to realize. So I put it this to you this way. Are you ready to search your life? Are you ready to get there in this and see? Lord, show me. Take those deceptive things away that I can see. Where I'm slipping. Because I don't want to be there. Because I know I don't want to be there. I don't want to be doing things that God doesn't like. And a lot of times people say, say, I don't understand. It makes it difficult for me to do it because every time I realize that Jesus is with me, I look at Him sitting, sitting next to me. And I'm looking at something and I'm saying, Hmm. You understand what I'm saying? It's important for us to realize that. But I want you to know something. 
Young people, and I say young people, not just young people, but I'm talking about young people who are new in Christ. Don't take this as a, as a beat-you-up type message because it wasn't intended that way. What I want to do is let us all realize that we have battles to fight and we're all at different levels. We're all at different spiritual levels in our life. There's not one person, there's not two people in here that are in the same spiritual level. It's almost like a unique fingerprint. Everybody's got a unique fingerprint. Every one of you has got a place where you are in your relationship. You could be married and you could be married for 50 years. You're still not in the same thing spiritually because you each have your own individual things that you do. Nobody's in the same place. We're all individuals and everybody's there. The whole point is what we have to do is remember to do all we can as we struggle. Realize that the struggle is not ours, it's God. And if we quit struggling with it and just ask God to take care of it and then walk in that and confess it, confess it, confess it, confess it, confess it. Do you realize that every time you confess something, you write it on the tables of your heart? Because that's how your heart hears. It's through the hearing of the Word of God. It's through hearing the professions of your faith, of your mouth, that you write those things on your heart. And pretty soon, what's in your heart begins to come out of your mouth. What comes out of your mouth goes back in your heart. And pretty soon, what you're saying happens. Why? Because there's something that happens when these two things come together. It's just like, I can't even define when it happens. But when something comes to you, have it, it, boom, it happens. I struggled for over three months with a back condition. Was scheduled for surgery and went in for surgery, laying there in the bed ready for surgery at 6 o'clock the next morning. Been praying for God to heal me, and I knew that God had healed me about 15 days before in, church, in a church service. I knew that God had healed me. I felt the touch. I knew that I was healed. But I hurt worse than I'd ever hurt even before then. I hurt so bad, I was taking twice as much pain medication with no relief. Couldn't find a way to sit. Couldn't find a way to lay. Couldn't find a way to roll over. I tried laying on the floor. I tried laying... Bundled up in the fetal position. I tried on my stomach, on my back, on my side. It didn't matter. No matter which way I laid, I hurt. Any of you had back problems, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There was no way. I went in that surgery that day. That doctor came in. He walked in the room, and there wasn't a bright glow that came in the room. There wasn't a presence of God that fell all over me. But he walked up to me and began to test me to make sure everything was still like it was. And it wasn't there. I jumped out of the bed, ran over and laid, but put my hands flat on the floor. I looked up at him. He had a little Ben Franklin glasses on. He looked over the top of me. He says, get out of here. He said, you'll be in more pain tomorrow after surgery than you are right now. Walked over to the door and says, if you ever, if you, if you need me, call me. He says, no, you better come. I got to release you from, from, from your, you know, so you can go back to work. So come and see me in 30 days. But I walked out of that thing crying all the way to the car. When I got to the car, I leaned there just weeping before God. And all of a sudden, this voice from the back seat says, Preach faith and love for those two, 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 two things. No man will ever see me. What I've done for you, I'll do for others. And I know that what he did for me, he's no respecter of persons. If he did it for me, he'll do it for you. If he healed my back, he'll heal your back. If he healed, if he healed somebody else's eyes, he'll heal your eyes. If he healed somebody else of cancer, he'll heal you of cancer, right? Because God is not going to show one respect over another. It all depends on how we come to him. Are we coming to him? Are we willing to stay until we get what God wants for, wants for us? Are we willing to settle? Are we really ready to settle for what we have instead of settling for what God wants us to have? God, would you stand with me? Father, I love you, Lord. I thank you. I praise you and I thank you, Lord, for your word. If you're here this morning, you've reasoned away sin in your life. You want to get those things purged out. Today is the day to get them purged out. We're going to open the altars up for you. You can come. No need for me to pray. It's between you and God. It's between you and God. Anybody here need healing this morning in your body? You've been carrying it. It doesn't matter what it is. If you believe God can heal you,
you believe what the Word of God says, you believe what it says, you can come. We'll pray for you. But all of it is, is up to us is what you desire, what you desire. The Bible says whatsoever you desire when you pray. Desiring is those things of Him, those things of Him that we desire. Is there something that you desire more of what God has for you, more of what God wants to have for you right now in Jesus' name? Father, we thank You, Lord. We ask You, Lord, right now. Hmm. Oh,